listening to Green State, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, the agency responsible for restoring, maintaining, and enhancing the quality of Oregon's air, land, and water. Welcome back to Green State, a podcast where we talk about the ways the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality is protecting your air, land, and water. I'm Lauren Wordis. And I'm Dylan Darling. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to Summo. Our last episode was about the summertime topic of wildfire smoke and how SmokeWise Ashland is preparing the Southern Oregon community for that. Sticking with summer topics, in this episode, we're going to dive into water. Some of you listening might be ready to get out on the water, um, in particular for the 10th and final big float in Portland that's coming up on Sunday, July 10th, and it's hosted by the Human Access Project. So we know this is a time of year that people all around Oregon are looking for places to swim and float and play in the water. Now, not to spoil the fun, but we're going to be talking about harmful algal blooms caused by cyanobacteria. So you don't want to dive into this waddle. You might not want to recreate into it. And now you may have heard the term harmful algal blooms when it comes to health advisories from Oregon Health Authority. And that's specifically about recreation or even drinking water. We had two. So we wanted to learn more about these and see how all agencies involved. Um, we found out DEQ works pretty closely with the Oregon Health Authority when it comes to harmful algal blooms. OHA is the agency responsible for posting those warnings and educating educating the public about harmful algal blooms. Once a water body is identified as having a harmful algal bloom, DEQ is one of the organizations that can go out and investigate and collect samples. And then we also work on identifying sources of pollution and writing a pollution reduction plan to help lessen the number of harmful algal blooms, hopefully. And DQ is researching harmful algal blooms, cyanobacteria, and water conditions, trying to better understand what conditions cause these type of blooms. Yeah, and so we gathered a DEQ water quality expert from our agency's lab and two Oregon Health Authority experts that we work with regularly on harmful algal blooms. We learned there's a lot to learn about these and also about what causes them. So thanks for joining us. And let's turn now to our conversation with water quality and public health experts. Hi, I'm uh, Aaron Borisenko. I manage the water quality monitoring section at DEQ's laboratory in Hillsborough. I'm Curtis Kood, and I manage the environmental public health surveillance programs for the Oregon Health Authority. I'm Greg Baird. I work for the Oregon Health Authority Drinking Water Services Program, and I'm the Emerging Contaminant Specialist. Thank you all so much for being here. So maybe then just starting with Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about what harmful algal blooms are, which we're here to talk about today? Why do they matter to people in Oregon? And yeah, what do those look like? Sure. I mean, what are often referred to as harmful algal blooms or HABs are more accurately called 
cyanobacteria blooms or cyanohabs. They're actually not algae at all, but rather cyanobacteria, which are small, single-celled photosynthetic organisms that are the first forms of life on Earth, and actually the oldest organisms in Earth's fossil record. They're important because as photosynthesizers, they help to build our oxygen-rich environment, which created the conditions that gave rise to all life forms on Earth. However, when uh, cyanobacteria bloom, they can also release toxins into surface water that can be harmful to pets, uh, humans, livestock, and wildlife. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. And this is a topic that over the years, you know, like a lot of people in Oregon, I've seen the warnings and that's probably the time when I think about them. And so it's kind of nice to stop and really say, okay, well, what is this really all about? And you just touched on though that they can have a health impact. So we have a couple folks from Oregon Health Authority uh, help us understand what health impact can they have on people and pets? Curtis or Greg, do you want to tackle that one? Sure, I can uh, go ahead and give it a start from the recreational standpoint. The more common and, and least severe health outcomes is that you know water contact with cyanotoxins can cause a skin irritation or a rash, especially if you have any openings on your skin, any open wounds or, or infections. We know that swallowing the water can cause diarrhea, cramping, vomiting, and dizziness uh, with people. And more severe reactions occur when large amounts of water are swallowed. So, you know, the the higher the dose, uh, the more of an impact you're going to have to your health. And we do know that children and pets are at the greatest risk uh, because they 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 swallow a lot more water relative to their body weight than, than adults do. From the drinking water perspective, harmful algal blooms or cyanobacterial blooms that are in surface water bodies can present a risk if that surface water body, is, like a lake or a river, is used as a source for drinking water. Mm-hmm. Drinking those cyanotoxins above certain levels can have health effects, like Curtis mentioned, upset stomach, vomiting, diarrhea, up to more serious things like liver and kidney damage. So yeah, some really serious health effects, it sounds like, you know, especially if you come into contact with or really take in a lot of this. So maybe to Aaron, what causes these cyanohabs? How often are we seeing them in Oregon? I know people might think like, oh, no, I'm seeing algae. Am I seeing cyanohabs? What do they look like and where do they come from? It's important to remember that these cyanohabs are naturally occurring in many water bodies. They're often part of a a natural seasonal succession of blooms that includes other algae like phytoplankton and diatoms and other aquatic photosynthesizers. But the issue is with warmer water temperatures from climate change, where there is stagnation or where there's nutrient enrichment, it can favor the development of these cyanohab blooms and extend the duration, intensity, and toxicity of these blooms in some cases. And so they occur statewide. You know, they can occur in rivers like we see uh, periodically in the lower 
Willamette. We see blooms in you know, recreational water bodies like Lake Billy Chinook and coastal water bodies like Ten Mile Lake and Silk Coose Lake. And we typically have a very large, long-lasting bloom down in Klamath Lake, but they occur in other water bodies as well around the state. And to really understand what's triggering cyanobacteria blooms in a particular lake or river, the water quality conditions of that water body need to be closely monitored leading up and throughout the course of the bloom. These data then help us understand sort of what water quality components might be the most important in the development of those blooms. Things like excess nutrients coming from upland sources such as fertilizers, septic systems, biosolids application, and wastewater treatment plants can contribute to cyanobacteria development. And certainly climate change is also creating more favorable conditions for the development of cyanohabs. What is an Oregon Health Authority advisory for cyanohabs? What does it mean? And just kind of take us through how these come about. The more, more common advisories that that folks will see and hear about are recreational public health advisories. So we'll we'll start with that, and uh, we we rely on our partners to uh, collect data from these lakes, ponds, rivers, and streams, and to you know recognize. Or sometimes we get a call in from the public that that says, "Hey, I'm concerned about the way this water body looks," or "I think." I got sick or my dog got sick here. Can someone take a look? So then the next step after that is, is to collect some data and see what the toxin levels are in that water body. And if the toxin levels are high enough, then we'll go ahead and establish a recreational public health advisory. And, you know, in, in that advisory, we recommend that people avoid water contact. Um, if, if they're going to be uh, playing on the water, avoid high-speed water activities like jet skiing or or water skiing, because that can kick up a lot of water spray that you could ingest, that you could inhale, and that could cause some health health concerns. Uh, So um, what happens at that point in time is uh, uh, the local natural resource managers or or folks that are close to that water body uh, will, you know, they'll, they'll keep their eyes on the situation and recognize when that bloom has gone away when it's no longer visible. And at that point in time, uh, we'll ask them to take some samples again and make sure that the toxin levels are below our guideline values so so that we can go ahead and lift that public health advisory. From the drinking water side, advisories come into play if cyanotoxins are detected in the finished drinking water. If they exceed a health advisory level, Uh, Water systems in Oregon are required to notify their customers not to drink the water. Take us through, if maybe one or both of you can kind of summarize, like at a at a high level, how do we go from you know someone sees a some algae to advisory? So how does that information get to you? And I know at times DEQ comes in. What will usually happen is someone will call or email. We've even uh, seen concerns come over social media about certain water bodies. You know, that that's our first alert. Besides, there are times where our partners use satellite information to track 
how intensive an algae bloom might or, or cyanobacteria bloom might be on a certain water body. And that'll help guide our, our response, whether we're going to post an advisory on a water body, a whole water body, or just part of it. And, and I think I, I just want to stop for just a second and uh, go back to, you know, before and I, I said that we recommend that folks avoid water contact and high speed water activities. I want to make it very clear that we are not actually closing any of those water bodies. And again, we're encouraging people to continue to visit and, you know, enjoy recreational activities out there. And Aaron, could you talk a little bit about how DEQ sometimes comes into play with the process Curtis is describing? Sure. As Curtis uh, was describing, you know, the reports can come in in a number of different ways, and they sometimes come into DEQ, in which case we would work closely with Oregon Health Authority to understand what the correct response might be. And at DEQ, reports can come in as phone calls or emails, or sometimes we get something through the Oregon Emergency Response System that's reported as like a a green paint spill in the water or by word of mouth. And so once that report happens, we work with OHA to gather some additional information about the situation. And we ask questions about that report, like who reported the bloom and do we have their contact information? Where was the bloom reported? Are there drinking water facilities at risk? Is there a bloom near recreational opportunities for people. Has a photograph been taken of that bloom? Was the was a sample collected for analysis of that particular bloom? And if a sample wasn't collected, who's available to collect that sample? And that's those are questions that we work with the Oregon Health Authority to identify prior to doing some type of a response. If there's no one to collect a sample and have it analyzed, DEQ steps in to assist Oregon Health Authority with that sample collection and analysis. It sounds like really hoping that people out there can can help by seeing these and it's saying something you know you you see something out there in the water you you say something what should orgagonians be on the lookout for you know if they think they see some cyanohabs what is it that they should be be looking for well, uh, Dylan, what, what we advise people is to use their senses to look at the water. And if, if they see that it's foamy or scummy, if it's thick like paint, uh, Aaron just, just mentioned, you know, looks like someone spilled paint on the water. It can be different colors. It can be pea green, blue green, sometimes brownish red. And uh, also sometimes, uh, you know, it can let off a really bad odor. Uh, so, you know, basically if it looks, if it looks, you know, questionable. If it smells bad, our advice is to just stay out, stay out of the water. And and if they do see things like that, how do you prefer that, you know, they, you know, we obviously can't be everywhere all at once. So if they're seeing something, how can they let you know? Well, there's a couple of things that folks can do. Um, uh, they can send us an email and we'll just quickly give you that email address. It's Hab, that's H-A-B dot health at states dot O-R dot U-S. We do have a, an 877 number, and that's 1-877-290-6767. And that can reach uh, uh, folks uh, at least, you know, during during business hours. As, as Aaron mentioned, there are there are times where, you know, it could be Considered an emergency and in contacting the Oregon Emergency Response System is, is the best way to go for that. 
Well, it also sounds like, is it useful for someone to take a photo of what they see? Most people are carrying a smartphone these days with a pretty good camera on board. Uh, does it help to have a photo of, of what they're seeing out there? Yeah, and certainly. And especially if they happen to have a smell phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, certainly uh, being able to uh, send a, send pictures in uh, helps us to get an idea. It's it's good for people to, if people can take both sort of a, a, a close-up of, you know, hey, this is where it looks really bad, and then zoom out a bit so we can see what's the context. You know, is this at a swim beach? Is it in a remote area? That helps us to see how extensive it might be, and then also gives us an idea of who might come into contact with that water. The email and phone number, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. I know you all do a lot of work to try and get the message out to people. And then I'm thinking, you know, we did talk a little bit about drinking water and folks might be concerned because obviously that's a direct way for that water to get right into your body. So Greg, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about when it comes to drinking water, what sort of work are we doing to make sure that the water is safe and that we are, you know, one step ahead of the Habs if we can be. So Oregon's one of the few states that actually has a regulatory system in place that requires cyanotoxins monitoring by public water systems. Since about July 2018, public water systems that are deemed susceptible to these kind of blooms have been required to monitor for two cyanotoxins during the peak season, which we consider to be May to October. And if cyanotoxins are detected in the raw water, the raw untreated water, it triggers them into monitoring the finished drinking water. We do that to you know ensure the protection of public health and get data to compare to those health advisory levels that we use. And like I said, if detections are above certain levels in the finished water, then the water, the water system can notify their customers not to drink the water. And I just wanted to jump in as well and talk about some other drinking water concerns that... Um, People should know that, you know, if they're at a campground that's on, on the lake mm-hmm. or they're out backpacking, uh, those, you know, those, those backpacking style uh, water filters do not treat for cyanotoxins. Same thing with, uh, you know, boiling the water. The, boiling the water um, will actually concentrate the cyanotoxins if, if you happen to have them in the water. Mm. Uh, there's another, uh, another concern for drinking water that is um, not, not from a system perspective, but there are some water bodies where people actually, they, they have their home or, or a vacation home and they have, they have a pipe and, and a pump that goes down to the, the lake, pond, stream, river, et cetera. And they're pulling water from that water body. So it's, it's really good for folks to be aware of those situations and the fact that there might be times where the, the drinking water in their, in their home could be of concern. We're actually working on some risk communications tools for um, some communities that are situated on water bodies. And what I mean by that would be, you know, many uh, individual homes are pulling water, surface water for drinking water purposes from, from uh from those areas. So we're working to develop uh, some risk communication tools so that residents and visitors will have a, a better idea of the, the potential risk from drinking water from that water body. 
That's that's really cool. And just one quick follow up question. I'll get in there because you're piquing my interest because I hadn't thought about yeah camping and and all of that. So in the situation where either you know one of these facilities comes back with some cyanohabs, or we know that there are some developing on a lake or something or a place nearby where where campers might pull water or use it to brush their teeth or something. What should people be doing? How can people kind of be either just prepared to address that or deal with it when it happens? That's a great question. I, I think one thing that people can do before they go out camping at a lake is they can uh, they can look at our website that has these cyanobacteria advisories. I can quickly give that address. Yeah. That's Health Oregon, all one word, healthoregon.org slash H-A-B. Now, I want to give a big caveat to that. That only gives you, you know, advisories on places that we know about. Uh, and it's, you know, there, there are probably thousands of water bodies in Oregon. Not all of them are susceptible to these cyanohabs, but it's certainly the case that people can't be everywhere monitoring all the time. Uh, So that's where we come back to getting that messaging out there. Some of our partners manage recreational facilities, and we've developed some posters that they can post in those, you know, in those campgrounds or boat ramps, for example, just, you know, for educational purposes. And uh, we try and work with them uh, as much as possible to provide more advisory signage or posters when there is an advisory on a certain water body. These advisories, this can really help um, guide as you just a, a thing to check before you're going out there. And now you guys have mentioned that May to October is the time of year that we might be seeing these type of blooms. You've also mentioned earlier that we're seeing more of these cyano-harmful algae blooms in Oregon. What is DEQ and the Oregon Health Authority doing to understand the these blooms and, and respond to them even more quickly. Well, maybe I'll try to tackle that one, Dylan. First, uh, you know, we suspect that these blooms are getting worse, more intense, longer in duration, but we honestly don't have the hard scientific data to demonstrate that in all places in Oregon. That's uh, That sort of large systematic data set just doesn't exist. But on a global scale, there have been papers to show that things like climate change and excess nutrients are creating conditions that seem to be increasing the presence of these blooms globally. So the same, same thing is probably true here in Oregon. To really get at the root cause of blooms that are getting worse, you really need to do intensive data collection to understand where the sources of the pollutants or factors that are contributing to the bloom development are coming from in a particular water body. Each water body is unique. They have unique conditions around around them or in them. And so we need to go out and collect that data sort of pre-bloom through the course of a bloom and as the bloom subsides to really get the water quality uh, characteristics. What are the nutrient conditions like for nitrates, phosphorus, water temperature, light penetration, things that these blooms need to flourish. And so by doing that, we can then start to look up up slope around those water bodies to identify where those pollution sources might be coming from and develop management plans to start to mitigate the progression of those blooms or the severity. Basically, is there just kind of a main takeaway that you would like for people to know as they go outside this summer and sort of how can they best protect themselves? If you find thick, brightly colored, 
foam or scum at a lake, pond, or river. Don't let your pet drink or swim in the water. And it's, it's you know, again, avoid water contact with that water. So when in doubt, stay out. I would second what Curtis said. And, you know, uh, you know, if you're a backpacker or somebody that's going out and uh, you're concerned, you know, educate yourself on what these blooms look like. There are fo- good photographs that can be found online of different types of blooms and their appearance. And it's good to know something about that so you can protect yourself. And one other thing I'd just like to add is that if you're out there with your dog and your dog starts showing symptoms like drooling, weakness, vomiting, staggering, and convulsions after being in, in, in the water, we advise that you call your veterinarian immediately and seek some uh, veterinarian assistance. It's not always the case that cyanotoxins are causing these symptoms, but it could be. There, there are other causes as well. Aaron, you know, you touched on one point, some of the places around the state where we've seen these. Uh, are there really any examples, uh, notable examples that come to mind? when we have this conversation, just ones that really stick out as places where we maybe just saw a very large bloom or recurring blooms. Where are some of those examples and places? Just on some of those at the beginning of the podcast, you know, the ones that seem to occur quite regularly, the ones that come to my mind are on the lower Willamette uh, during the end of the summer months or in the middle of the summer. Certainly Klamath Lake, which experiences large blooms across that water body throughout the course of most of the summer. Some of the coastal lakes like Silt Coos Lake and Ten Mile Lake, which have recurring blooms. Lake Billy Chinook can have fairly substantial blooms. So there are water bodies and other water bodies as well. Odell Lake, for example, which we're monitoring in the Cascade High Lakes, Wikiup Reservoir. So there are many water bodies that can experience regular blooms and t- typically do at some course during the summertime. And then we, we see other water bodies that maybe haven't been reported before uh, popping up here and there. And also um, rivers, for example, the South Umpqua has had blooms where we've had dog deaths and that can be quite concerning and really needs our attention when something like that happens. So there, ha- there has been a sort of a standing advisory on a section of the, of the South Umpqua and is something that we try to keep an eye on as well. These occur statewide. I'll, I'll just tag on there that uh, uh, what, what Aaron is talking about on the South Umpqua, uh, we, we do have a, a permanent advisory in place from the South Umpqua at Canyonville all the way to the, the mouth of the South Umpqua and then down the main stem Umpqua River till just a little bit past Elkton. And there's just, you know, there's a great habitat there for all of these little carved out hollows in the rock uh, that are along the rivers that just are a great habitat for these cyanobacteria to thrive and nice little pools of water. That those are those are other situations where we advise people to stay out of those and stay out of those areas, stay out of that water. Is there anything else that you would like Oregonians to know either about cyanohabs or what OHA and DEQ are doing to address them? I would just like to share some interesting research that we're working on with the Oregon Health Authority and at DEQ. We're obviously doing monitoring for these cyanotoxins when they're reported for both recreational and drinking water, vulnerable drinking water facilities. But we're also doing some interesting work to understand what the genes that produce these toxins look like in some of these water bodies. That analysis is called quantitative polymerized chain reaction, where we'll actually look 
for the, the genes that create these cyanotoxins in water bodies. And this could prove to be a good early warning system for when these blooms are developing in advance of when we might be seeing measurable concentrations of the toxins in these water bodies. So we're still investigating whether that's going to be useful to us here in Oregon. Uh, and we're also doing uh, more analysis of um, satellite data which actually detects the uh, pigments that are produced by these bacteria, cyanobacteria. And that can be really useful in sort of giving us an advanced warning of when a bloom is forming in some of these larger water bodies. So we, at DEQ, we have a team that does analysis of those satellite imagery and produces reports that can give us a, an advanced warning when blooms are forming. Really interesting and innovative work. I think when it comes to drinking water, people, you know, are interested in knowing that their drinking water is safe. This might sound kind of basic, but one thing the public can do is just be aware of who their drinking water provider is. Not a lot of people think about that much, or they might be a renter and not paying a bill directly. So knowing who your drinking water provider is helps in the event that you know, a communication is coming out from a public water system about a, such as an advisory about a water quality issue, the customer can quickly determine that that information is directed at them. So that's my advice. And I guess from my perspective, what people want to know is how they can keep their family and pets safe when they're out at the water. And just a few points one is to not wade or swim or water ski in waters that have signs of an algae bloom. And again, when in doubt, stay out. Uh, never drink lake or river water that's un untreated. You know, there's there are other bacteria and other microbiological uh, uh, factors besides cyanotoxins. So it's just not a good idea. If you decide to eat fish from waters that have a harmful algae or harmful algae bloom, cyanobloom, make sure to remove all the fat skin and organs before cooking the fish and that'll you know you'll, you'll be focusing on the, on the muscle of the fish and that shouldn't be a problem never cook with natural water from areas suspected to have a harmful algae bloom like i said before that can just concentrate the, the cyanotoxins and again if you or your pet become ill then seek medical or veterinary attention immediately tell us about it later take care of yourself first all right, I'm so glad that we had that discussion. And now, Lauren, what did we learn? So, I mean, the first takeaway for me is what we even call these blooms in the first place. As our experts described, they're called cyano-harmful algal blooms, or cyano-habs is what they said a lot. Habs being harmful algal blooms, and honestly, a lot easier to say. Around waddles and organ. And then we also learned what to do if you come across this discolored or smelly water that is caused by cyanohabs. And that's when in doubt, stay out. So you can't really tell if it's cyanohabs just by looking at it. So it's better to play it safe. If you go to healthoregon.org slash hab, H-A-B, or just Google OHA harmful algal blooms, you can sign up for alerts that will let you know if there's an advisory in place related to cyanohabs in water near you. And now a reminder that there's a lot of water all around Oregon, 
So you may find a cyanohab, but those not in an advisory in place. Kind of like what Lauren just said with when in doubt, stay out. If you do encounter that, you might make sure you're safe and your pets are safe first, but you might want to take a photo and tell us at DQ or OHA. We might want to look into it. And in that regard, we've also learned that DQ is collecting and studying data to try to better understand what leads to cyanohabs. Basically, DQ scientists want to know what is out there in the water that might warn us that a harmful algal bloom or a cyanohab is potentially going to happen soon. Yeah, that's right. So we hope you took a lot away from this as much as we did. I know I'm going to sign up for those alerts so I can make sure that I know that it's safe to go in the water and safe for my pets to go in the water. And then next time on Green State, we're going to talk to some folks about complaints, inspections, and enforcement. So we'll see you next time. We hope this episode helped you find clear waddles. Stay cool. Thank you for listening to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. And thanks to all the voices who contributed to the conversation. Our music is by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get our upcoming episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. And if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to cover, you can reach us at 503-451-0585 or by email at green.state.org.gov. To find out more, go to dequblog.com slash greenstate.